there and welcome to another episode of Design Under Influence. We have an awesome guest for you today. We're going to talk about entrepreneurship in the world of architecture, design, and engineering. We have a longtime client, a friend, and a, a very interesting individual here to uh, talk through his journey a little bit, and maybe we all can learn something. I also have my co-host, Boris Rappaport, CEO of ArcIT, here with us. Boris, say hello to the listeners. Hi, everybody. Good to talk to everybody again. Hey there. So let me introduce our guest so we can dive right in. It's Randy Waldeck. Randy, how you doing? Doing well. How are you? Awesome. CSDA is the company you made partner in three years. I'm just going to jump right, right in because that's that's I think that's very interesting. And folks who are listening can learn a lot from some of the things that you have done in your career. But is that common to go from an employee to partner in three years? Doesn't sound com- common, is it? I don't think it's super common. Most of the time, architects work their way up. Sometimes they'll get poached if you know if it's the senior person. Uh, maybe they'll be on a track. It depends on the size of the firm too, and how many people are in line, so to speak. I think the bigger the firm, the longer it takes to get there. I at the time when I switched um, firms. I had been, I had 10 years of working experience. Uh, and then I came over to CSDA and then I think it's about three years before um, I was officially made partner. So I, it's probably a little uncommon for somebody with only 10 years in the industry, but CSDA is a smaller business. So I think there's a little more flexibility um, and there was a need in the firm at the time to replace some outgoing people. So take, let's take let's take two steps back. So we talked pre-show about your kind of path to this, and that's that's fascinating. I just wanted to open with this with this very kind of interesting point in your life where you made that partner, and then there's a lot more after that we can talk about. But let's take two steps back. Sort of kind of what brought you into the space? How did you enter the space? What was your specialty, and then your transition to CSDA? Sure. So I am am still. A practicing acoustical engineer, and I've been doing that now for going on 21 years, which is hard to believe. Um, I joined a firm in San Francisco right out of college. Uh, I went to Cal Poly, and there were some other graduates of my major that worked there, and it seemed interesting. Uh, acoustics seemed much better than some of the other engineering disciplines I was looking at, so I switched into it. And so I worked at uh, my former firm for 10 years, and then CSDA approached me. I had actually been working with CSDA as their acoustical engineer on multiple projects, and so they know who I was. Um, ironically, they hired a recruiter in the Midwest uh, who found me again, and even though my office was literally across the street from theirs in downtown San Francisco. Mm. So they ended up paying a recruiter for nothing, but that's their problem. Um, <laughs> serendipity, okay. Serendipity, yeah. So I talked with them and you know, I knew what they did and who they were and all that. So that made it easier. And um, they needed somebody to head up their sound insulation practice for airports, which was kind of an acoustical you know, field, if you will. So it was a noise thing. And since I knew the players and I knew the project types and all that, and they offered me a partner track, you know, they gave me kind of a matrix and said, you know, if you do X, Y, and Z, then by year three, this is where you'll be. And uh, my firm I was at, I was happy and everything was fine, but it's uh, kind of a family owned business and I didn't have the right last name. And it was a hard, very hard decision. Um, but, you know, I just realized for me, I study both business and engineering. So the idea of being a partner in a business uh, appealed to me. So 
I switched over and, you know, followed the track that they gave me and, you know, in three years became kind of a junior partner. And ever since then kind of have gradually acquired more and more of ownership in the firm. Cool. Let me ask you this in the track itself. I'm sure there's some kind of performance metrics, um, but uh, any of those performance met- metrics are related to actual bottom line profitability of the business or is it top line size of the, of the contracts you get in or a combination? Give us a rough idea. Yeah, it's a combination. They made a matrix, which I, we've they use for me and I think others and we continue to use, which is usually a three-year plan, uh, which outlines both your compensation and then the expectations. And so there is overall revenue, you know, for your practice. Um, and then profitability, yeah, it's not a clear hard number, but it's a it's a kind of a, a metric that they use, which all architecture firms will most use, which is called the net effective multiplier, which is kind of your profitability. And there's every firm is a break even. And that, you know, depends on, how many offices and how much their overhead is. And so my goal was a certain amount above our break even essentially. Um, So there's, those are the two pieces is bring enough money in the door um, and then make sure that you're still profitable because, you know, you can bring a lot of money in, but if your staff cost is higher than the money you bring in, you're still losing money. So, so they, they put both in there. Um, And then there was other, you know, kind of things, you know, don't be a pain in the butt, be nice to people, you know, those kind of non-numerical things that you have as far as an employee. The squishy, the squishy stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly, the subjective stuff. So that was in there as well. But of course, yeah, the basic requirements are that, you know, at the end of the day, if you're not helping the business keep the lights on, then why make you partner? So that was certainly in there. And, you know, the numbers went up every year (laughs) until year three. Yeah. So let me ask you. So this is kind of just just to pause here for a second. This is very sad, a similar relationship that uh, Boris and I have, where you know, despite being friends and and you know, thinking along the business lines and the kind of very similar line of thinking, where growth and treating people right and like client obsession over client services is kind of commonality between him and I. But you know, we we still have the same track. Like I'm earning partnership in the business i'm in year two right now and we have very specific performance benchmarks on both ends, top revenue but also there's a profitability aspect to it and so so, so there's a uh, that's very interesting and i understand it very well and i think it works really well for companies to be able to bring in uh, executive level talent where you can't just pay them you know 500k a year uh or, or you know or 350 or something like that so that fractional ownership and partner track is 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 phenomenal for everybody, I think. But well done, right? Um, I wanted to ask you this. Um, you you said you were responsible for some bringing some of the business, but you also said you had this big airport deal. Were you also hustling for new contracts on the acoustical side of things, or you were just focused on getting that airport business locked down and continue? Yeah, I was hired originally to take over existing contracts and manage the staff that were working on them. Um, And so I did that. And then actually at this exact same time as I was making this transition, because I think it for me at the time they made the offer to me, I I remember, I think it was like a November timeframe. I didn't start at CSDA until April of the following year, partly because of the holidays, partly because there's a big change in my life. 
I was in the process of also buying a house and had a pregnant wife. So there's a lot of three and then changing careers. So I took my sweet time to evaluate. And during that time, actually a big contract for the BART extension to San Jose came out for sound insulation work. So I helped pursue that actually with both my former firm and my new firm at the same time Um, uh, as the acoustical sub at my former firm and then the actual firm doing the work, which was CSDA that was going to lead the charge. And we ended up winning that project actually. Mm -hmm. Like, so I immediately jumped into that project as project manager, which was unexpected. Um, And that tied me up for a year or two because that was a big project. And then once that started to settle down, then I started, doing some more of my acoustical consulting that I had done at my former firm, um, mainly because people were coming to me and kept reaching out to me, um, clients I had in the past. And, you know, I, so I just kind of did it on the side for fun because it's interesting work to me. Um, and then I made a decision, you know, after about a year of things being calmer on the BART extension to say, well, Hey, why don't I actually like try to make this a line of business? And so add it to the sound insulation work as a kind of a supplemental practice area, because it's all, you know, as I always say, it's all noise in the end. It's just different client mm. types and different project types. <laughs> Desired or, or otherwise. Yeah. Um, okay. That's interesting. So what is the percentage of architectural projects that typically require acoustical engineering piece to it? Like overall on the grand scale? Uh, I mean, the only the easier ones to say with the things we don't really work on uh we don't really do anything single family homes or custom homes or anything like that we commercial projects like office space most of the bigger ones we'll work on not any of the small stuff um they're pretty straightforward but bigger google work other unnamed tech companies things like that um they also in a specialty spaces they they're pretty strict on what they expect for a space so any larger 50,000 square feet plus projects and commercial we'll work on. We don't do much industrial. Uh, we do a little. And then pretty much every other project type you can think of, multifamily housing, obviously performing arts, recording studios, things like that are pretty big. And then there's a lot of environmental work, um, what I just call trains, planes, and automobiles, freeway noise, train noise, train vibration, things like that. So the majority of work we do, and then there's healthcare. So the majority of work we do would be commercial, healthcare, residential, and I'll call it environmental. Gotcha. And so what this adventure is leading you towards is a new beginning, right? So I, I, it's not yet public information, but we decided that we, we can talk about it a little bit, Randy. So why don't you tell us what you're doing here? <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. So... I mean, I guess it's been six or seven years where we started doing, CSD started doing traditional acoustical consulting, what architects view as traditional acoustical consulting, in addition to the airport work, which doesn't really involve other architects. And so, uh, I don't know, a year or so ago, we've grown the business from really just me doing it on the side to now I think I'm up to about eight people just Mm. doing pure acoustical consulting. So... Uh, for a couple of reasons, um, the the ter- you know the firm's name is CSDA Design Group, and it's unclear what does that mean. Are we architects? Are we engineers? And since we have two divisions, it was confusing to people. And so I wanted a name and something that was a little more, if you will, on brand, and that there wasn't confusion because CSDA has been around for something like seventy years now. So a lot of people just look at them as school architects, which is a division of the company that's been there forever. So we're launching, if I can get all my stuff done in the next couple of months, 
new name, new brand, new website. Uh, obviously, my staff will just kind of tr- transition over, and then we're going to have the fun job of existing contracts with CSDA, and then all the new contracts we're going to push over to what we're calling uh, Resonance Acoustics. Um, all right, cool. Residence acoustics. Nice. Yeah. So it's, you know, it'll be the same, same gang of folks and all that. It's really a spinoff and a, uh, I don't want to say branding thing because it's a, you know, completely separate entity, but I think that will help clarify what we do. The name, you know, speaks to acoustics a little bit more than CSDA and, you know, other than the initial difficulties of launching any business and especially with existing clients and, and getting the word out and explaining it to a lot of clients. Um, it should be fun. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, if you think, well, for people out there, not you, Randy, people out there who are listening, if you think launching a business with existing clients is, is hard, try launching it without that's impossible. <laughs> so, so, you know, that's congratulations, man. That's really awesome. That's, that's kind of either you buy into the existing business via partnership or just buy a business or, or you take opportunity um, and, and a line of business from an existing entity split off and run your own. So those are extremely viable. Boris decided to start the business from nothing, which, which not to say, no, not from nothing because he had accumulated lots of relationship and work in this space for many, many years with architects. But still, you know, you maybe start what, Boris? You started one or two clients? Yeah. That's how yeah. we started. And I think CSDA was like our number three client. Um, we were your third. Yes. There, yeah. And thank you for that. Thank you for your business. Very appreciative of that. But I want to shift gears just a little bit and finish off on some of the systems. So, I'd like our shows, Randy, to give some tactical advice that maybe if people don't watch all the way, maybe not even here anymore, but the article would, would sort of have some bullet points and some takeaways for folks. So okay. let's talk about systems. Now, you your journey has been, like, it sounds very interesting, and, and, and but, but there was a lot of hard work, right? There was a lot of actual in the trenches, decisions you had to make, system you had to implement, people you had to let go. What's some of the things that stand out? Some of the things you have to overcome that you think will be helpful for other people? Well, I think there's a lot. There's For the acoustical consulting practice, there's a lot of software and tools that are either custom or kind of hard to get your hands on. Unlike architecture where, you know, you, you just pay 25% of your profit to Autodesk every year um, and you're in business. Uh, the acoustical <laughs> stuff is... You know, to get your tools and techniques and your tricks and your software and all your stuff set up is tough. And, you know, the established acoustical consulting companies have spent lots of time and money creating software, writing software, customizing software to do the work that needs to be done because it's such a specialty. There's not a Revit out there for acoustical consultants. Mm. Um, There's a variety of tools and some of them are good and some of them are 10 years old. And and so that that's a difficulty to get these things built and integrated. And then you have a bunch of engineers and all engineers disagree with each other and think their way is better. So I'm dealing with a bunch of engineers who all think their stuff is better than the other person's. So I think there's a lot there that maybe architects don't have to deal with, but on a related note, we still have to be able, we work with architects. So we have to be able to use Revit and we have to be able to deal with their models and all that. So I have to have people that are good enough with Revit to be able to, you know, get 
work product from architects, open it up, do what we need to do, send things back in Revit if we need to. And so, and that's not, our engineers do not study Revit and do not learn Revit. Um, so one of the fortunate things at CSDA is the fact that we have architects on staff. And so they, they've fulfilled that need for us. In my former firm, we didn't have anybody who really, we had one person who would study AutoCAD at the time, but that has actually been a benefit to us is we already had the Revit and the knowledge in-house. So I didn't have to worry about that. I had to worry about all the engineering stuff. And then besides that, you know, just like any architecture engineering firm, there's all the software, file storage, where do we store files? Do we go to the cloud? You know, and there's still a debate about that. We still have to deal with really large Revit files. We have to deal with a bunch of audio files that are really large. And, you know, right now we're still on local file storage, but, you know, we're talking about going to the cloud and it's just a question of what makes the most sense and is it there's good and bad to both so that's i think it's an ongoing struggle for all firms and there's money associated with all of that i mean you know the work i always say it's just kind of like architecture and engineering's the same way you know the work is all done the same way right like the math is the math design has a you know there's a certain template for how you produce drawings and details and specs like those are all standard no matter what firm you are so the question, though, is how do you do the work the most efficiently, frankly? And, you know, because, again, it's the in acoustics, the math formulas are the math formulas. You can't change those. But how can you look at a bunch of data and turn it out into what we need to give architects? And, I mean, architecture is kind of the same way as you need to design a building. You need a set of details and specs and floor plans and RCPs and all this jazz. And but how can you do it in a way that's efficient, especially with all the software that's out there? Um, because fees are always, you know, I, I can it's I kind of laugh like my fees haven't changed that much over the years because everyone just expects us to be more efficient. And to some degree we are, but you have to constantly think about how can I do this faster and better than I did five years ago? Because you're, you, while you can increase your fees somewhat, it's ironic that the fees haven't changed to keep up, frankly, with the inflation because. Which, which is strange, right? And because the salaries went up over five years for sure. You know, inflation is, well, not even counting last couple of years. So yeah. Just talking even, even normal inflation would eat into this. So that's kind of strange that you, you are unable to control your rate uh, to stay competitive. That's, well, they, uh, is they, rate a big deal? Um, well, they've gone up, but bidding? I don't think it's anywhere near the rate of inflation because the expectation is you can just be more productive, and which is true. I mean, there are tools and software that lets us be more productive. I mean, I mean, this, uh, God, I'm going to age myself, but you know, when I started doing acoustics, we would go into a building and we'd we'd record record whatever we're recording, whether it's the sound of a highway outside, and we'd have to go back to the lab and play the tape back into an analyzer and get the numbers. And now, you know, the gear gives you the numbers instantaneously, of course. So, mm. you know, the reality is that what used to be, you know, four hours of work is an hour and a half um, because of the tools we have. So I think, you know, of course the fees have gone up, but I, I think if we actually tracked it versus inflation, I don't think it'd be anywhere near what inflation and wages have been. And so, you know, the reason I say all that is there's always this pressure. And I think architects have a bigger pressure on fees. It's a very competitive marketplace. They have a harder job, frankly, because they not only have to design, they have to manage all the subs and do all the project management. Um, and so seeing that side of CSDA and, what, and all that they have to deal with, 
gives me a newfound respect for my all my other architecture clients. Mm. Um, but it, it's a lot. And so design is, you know, it's what all the architects love to do. But frankly, successful architects and successful firms, it's more about the management of the projects and being able to be efficient, you know, without compromising quality. Because, you know, in any design business, if you make mistakes in design, it snowballs into very expensive mistakes in construction, which either costs you a lot of money, puts you out of business, or just gives you an ulcer. Yeah, or, or all of the above. Um, yeah. here's, let me make some play by you. Uh, this is this is very. This has been a practice of mine, and I have experienced outcomes. But I want to get your opinion. So we talking about the fee pressure, and this is interesting. I love these conversations how things twist and turn. But the fee pressure, um, profitability pressure is very interesting. And the way I think the future of solution is specialization, like deep, deep specialization. For example, uh, for example, ArcIT does not work outside of architecture design engineering community. Sure, if you recommend someone, we'll talk to them. We have some clients who are not, but we're built around your tech stack, right? The tech stack, not not acoustical, but tech stack for for your typical architecture firm. We understand that. Our efficiencies are significantly better than a firm who who has only one or two architecture clients and then help everybody. So that's one piece. The second piece is a fee pressure. Because we are able to solve problems to such a, with with such a track record and so many recommendations and in-industry connections, we rarely lose a head-to-head, uh, you know, bid. So, I'm just curious what your experience with specialization. Does CSDA specialize in certain type of architecture, or you kind of take it all, or what's the deal? How do you guys work? CSDA, the architecture side, does mostly school design, um, mostly K through 12, although some higher ed as well, um, and occasionally we'll do some like community centery type of projects uh you know things like that but we don't do residential we don't do commercial and it's so it's pretty much education facilities is so specialized it is specialized but the the good and bad with that is um there is some specialty knowledge when you do school work um, there's a state agency dsa that has to approve drawings and they, you know, like any state agency, you, you have to know what they want and don't want. And if you don't know, and it's your first time, you're going to, you're going to get rejected and it costs you a bunch of money to pick it up and schedule delays. Cause they take forever to review things and approve things. So there's that specialty. That's kind of the first gatekeeper, but you know, lots of firms have that experience. And the thing is, is, you know, for example, with public schools, there's a guideline, I think it's put up by the state of like what percentage, what your fee should be based upon the construction costs. And so, you know, it's, I think it's OPFC or I think that's what it's called. And I forgot the agency that is. And so they all kind of follow that, which is, yeah, it's Office of Public Facilities Construction is going to be my guess. And they so they say, you know, if it's less than 50 million, this is a percentage of the design fee. And that includes architecture and all the subs. And so that's an example. Um, and, and, and higher ed has similar. They kind of know what to expect to pay. Or a lot of higher eds also design build. So you're, as an architect or designer, you're you're working kind of for the contractor. Yes, it's a partnership, but the contractor is kind of the prime. And so, of course, they're and the push and to win it, you have to kind of be the quote unquote best value, which means they like your design and they like the team, but they really like the price more important. So there's a lot of pressure in general on that um, design build. And then, you know, K through 12, 
the number is a number, right? It's a $60 million construction value. Therefore the design fee will be this. And you, mm. you don't have a so lot ceiling. of ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. You don't really have a lot of like, well, I need more because they'll, they're probably just going to go to the next person because again, with public bids too, and public agencies, they, they kind of have to, you know, follow a set of rules so they can't be seen as being favoritism or anything like that. So there's all those pressures then to deliver a project and that percentage may or may not be realistic. The construction budget may or may not be realistic, especially with construction costs. So that's why, yes, you know, especially with public work in general, it's qualifications and often price-based. So you could be really good and have a great name and that'll probably get you to the short list, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win the work and, or you may get the work and not be able to actually make any money on it. Mm, that was my next question. Like, do they leave? Do, do you typically find enough room to make some money? Because business is not viable without profit. Let's just say what it, it's not about greed. It's about survival. This is about uh, you know about living um, versus living in misery. So, so profit is is a must for a business. But so you say there. Well, obviously, you guys in business are successful. So there's a little bit of room there for you if you don't screw things up. Yeah, I mean, in general. Yeah, I think, you know, it's like anything. Most projects you do okay on, some you make a little extra money, some you lose a little. That's just the reality, whether it's an acoustical project or an architecture project. Um, you're not going to make wild profits on all of them. I mean, I think AIA probably tracks this better than me, but I am sure they track profit percentage for architecture firms. They track all the other numbers. And I, I'd say architecture firms generally with some exceptions, you know, you're, you're, if you do 10% profit a year, you're winning, you know, it's not a business. It's got huge margins. There's just competition. And like I said, for the public work, it's the public dollars. So they're very cognizant, you know, that they don't want their architecture teams flying around in private jets. It's not a good look with taxpayer money. So, you know, for all those reasons, but you know, there's big name firms out there that have been very profitable over the years and some of them do more private sector work and, or have a very, like you said, a very big specialty or they're just a big name and you know, the margins may be better. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard. I don't have access, but I'd say firms our size, uh, you know, small to medium sized firms. It's, that's certainly tougher. It's a tough architecture is a tough business. And you know what? I, I, I don't disagree, but I don't know if there's an easy business out there. I've tried a lot of them. Um, yeah, <laughs> true. I, I I think IT is a really good business, but we have our own challenges. Like it's very difficult to earn a client. Like, you know, how often do you change your IT providers? I mean, they really have to screw you up, um, or they have to go out of business for a firm to change IT providers. You know, when you're happy with your IT, and that's a great situation. But just people don't think about this it, anyway. So so we have our own set of challenges. I think there's a little bit more opportunity for profitability, but if you know. If you invest in good people and growth, there isn't much. You know, it's not it's not the high margin business. Um, but in any event, I, I think we I think this was fantastic. We took a we talked about all kinds of interesting stuff. So, any parting advice for someone who is maybe running two or three or five or seven person firm was looking to grow, was looking to do something uh, interesting and and you know, anything you've learned recently or, or overall that you advise them to do? Sure. I mean, I think if it's architects, cause I know you guys speak to a lot of them, you know, what I've found kind of invaluable 
is you need in i mean if it's a small firm and you're the only person running it then it's either you're either good at all doing all the things whether that's accounting or you know what i mean like you have to understand the numbers and the practice and the creativity side and and all that and the client side but i think what's for architects what i've seen and what i would recommend is you have leadership one person in leadership that actually understands numbers and i'm not saying architects don't understand numbers but you know by default architects are creative people and creative right brain folks you know numbers and finances and stuff isn't interesting to them and i don't blame them <laughs> um but it's critical for a business to, for that for you to be kind of laser focused on the numbers um not not to the you know you have to be not to the detriment of the creative side and putting out good product and making clients happy and all that other stuff you have to do that no matter what it doesn't matter what type of business you are but i think where i've seen and i have a lot of friends who are partners and things in architecture firms is the ones that make it for the long haul uh, have somebody in there that is laser focused on making sure the business is viable. Um, mm. And and not just about, you know, our design is the best because, you know, I hate to say it. The reality is, is good design is great. And most clients appreciate it, but a lot of projects, you know, it's, we need this building and they already kind of know what they want and they don't have budget for anything more than just a kind of a standard thing. And so you got to make that work. Not every project is what we call a postcard project, you know, where you're going to send it a pretty picture out. And so I think for architecture firms, that's what I would, you know, seriously have, whether they're a partner or they're a business consultant or somebody that makes sure that you're viable because it can go south on you pretty quick and digging out of a financial hole in a business is incredibly difficult. Um, when the margins are what they are in the business. So I think that would be my suggestion for architecture folks. Engineers, same suggestion, but since they live and breed numbers, it's a little more innate to them. Um, and I think engineers and I'll put acoustical people would be always understanding that your client is an architect. And so your work product should speak um, more graphically than engineers are used to. I think that would be the engineering side. And I'm mm. kind of helping my competitors. All right, so put a pretty face. <laughs> put a pretty face on, on your project, um, you know, to be able to sell it and then, hey, know your numbers, make sure the business is viable. Sage advice. Sounds sounds very simple, very difficult to do because your right brain, the left brain, your design focused, it's very difficult to have in numbers. Then have somebody partner with somebody or learn it yourself. I had to, you know, suffer through uh, uh, accounting classes in school. I don't know, you, you took business. You remember those accounting one, accounting two. I mean, there's just uh, finance. Debits and credits. Yes, I remember. Dude, it gets it gets crazy. But anyway, knowing this will make you um, uh, a higher chance of success. Randy, appreciate your time very much. I know you're busy. Wish you amazing luck in your venture. If we can help in any way, you know, we'll spread the message once you guys are out, uh, you know, publicly. And good luck to Resonance Acoustics. Is that yep. Resonance? Yep. You got it. Uh, not residence, resonance. Resonance, yes. Yeah, a, resonance. Yes. All right. Yeah. And thank, Randy, again, thank you and uh, all the best to you in, uh, in your adventures. Thank you. I appreciate it. You guys take care. Thanks, Randy.